You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. I want you to say this with me. Can we say this together? So, wait, wait, before you say it, before you say it, with enthusiasm. Are you ready? Sounds great. Let's go. Boy, that's a good one. That's a good one. So according to Steve, my husband, who is, and let me begin with this, my best friend and my partner in the gospel, a man I deeply respect and trust completely, except maybe when it comes to this story that I'm about to tell you. According to Steve, this, what you just said, is the goal he's after when we make decisions about where we're going to eat when we eat out. Now, I don't notice it happening this way, but according to Steve, the way that decision happens is, first, Steve mentions about half a dozen restaurants while he watches my facial expression to, to see if any of them spark anything other than sheer disgust. How about namaste? How about Moe's? No, no, no. How about Poblano's? No. How about Thai Kitchen? Oh, man. How about Goolsby's? No, no. And according to Steve, after he names every restaurant we've ever been to and like, then he says, what suggestions do you have, my dearest soulmate, without whose wisdom I could not survive? <laughs> and then I'll sit a while thinking, because nothing sounds right at first, but then eventually I'll say, and remember this is according to him, perceptions may vary, eventually I'll make a suggestion and whatever I say, he immediately says, Is that just our experience? Anybody else here have this going on in your family? Yeah. The problem with our system is that naming every place we don't want to go doesn't get us any closer to where we do want to go. Or maybe it's this, that eliminating some options is only half the equation. The other half is choosing from among, from among what's left. So I'm telling you this whole story this morning because what I want to say to you is that on June 13th, we as a church eliminated an option by voting to step out of the United Methodist Church. And of course, that choice won't be final and, and uh, formal until annual conference ratifies our vote on November 18th at their special conference. But between now and then, we have this window of time to think about where we want to go from here. The temptation, now that we have the vote behind us, is to shove the conversation to the side and get back, you know, get back to our mission. I get it. That I feel that temptation in my spirit very deeply. But doing so would, give us, would leave us with a question still hanging out there waiting to be answered until it gets answered. It won't go away until it's answered. Sort of like Steve and me sitting in our kitchen having voted down all the places we don't want to eat, but still no place closer to that one place we can both enjoy. So what I'm saying is that our vote on June 13th is only half the equation. 
Because what we're leaving doesn't answer what we want to move forward to in faith. Being no longer UMC doesn't define us as a church any more than being no longer a drinker has defined me for the last 30 years. And I want you to hold on to that thought because I'm going to come back to it. So the question we still need to answer is this one. Where do we want to land as a church? Who will be our tribe and, and who will help us best to move forward in faith? You know, I'm sure, that I have an enthusiastic opinion where this is concerned, but we're all in this together. And so we want to make sure we're all informed so we can enter this choice with joy and truly move on from this season into God's preferred future for Mosaic. So this will be the fun part of the equation. We have freedom to choose. We have freedom to live headlong into the values of Jesus. Freedom to live into our mission without distraction. Freedom to live into the heart of God. Freedom to serve one another in love. We have freedom to get excited about and get involved in what God is doing all over the world. And we have freedom to offer our model of ministry to the body of Christ. So what tribe will give us the most freedom to do the things we most sense God's call to do? The vision and staff teams have done a lot of good work. They've been talking about this for a while. And through their research, they've helped us narrow the options of what's possible, and they have worked together to develop a timeline for making an informed choice about where we land. And now it's time for all of us to jump into this conversation. And since we're all in this together, in the coming weeks, you're going to receive some options to consider. You'll get some printed materials to look at, and there will be two opportunities for us to consider together, to come together and, and, and talk about these options. We've scheduled two town hall meetings. Um, so you can hear comparisons discussed, you can get your questions answered. And these two meetings will be for all members of Mosaic. Sunday, August 27th is one meeting it's at 5 p.m., Another meeting at, on Monday, September 11th at 7. I want you to take time to figure out which date works best for you. August 27th at 5 or September 11th at 7. And we'll be sending information out along the way. We want your, uh, to know what you're thinking about. So there'll be opportunities for feedback. Our, our goal is to make a final decision by October 1st. So we can truly move forward in faith toward our uh, toward our preferred future and really get to the good stuff, which is the global impact celebration on October 20th to 22nd. If you have questions, your first stop should be with Christopher Goss, who is leading this effort and who has done a ton of research on our behalf. We want you to feel great about the other half of this equation and ready when it's time to, to make the decision so we can all say together, that's it. So I'm about to tell you an old um, familiar story. It's familiar to, to, to many of you. Um, but I'm telling it again because it fits so well with where this message today is, is headed. A few weeks ago while I was on sabbatical, I, went to, uh, I spent an afternoon at Buona Cafe on Central Avenue. Buona Cafe on Central Avenue has this wonderful porch, and I was sitting out on the porch, and, and I was looking across the street, and it just like slowly dawned on me. I was looking across the street at Cafe Natural. Cafe Natural was, a, 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 back in my day, it was, called, it was called the cafe. Anybody else know Cafe Natural? And this, yeah, 
Yeah, the regulars called it the cafe, and I was a regular back in the day because they had the best jazz in town, and I was a big jazz fan, and, and they also believed my fake ID. <laughs> so I had my first beer at the cafe when I was 17 years old. It was a Sunday night after youth group. Let me say that again so you can absorb it. We left MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship, and went to a bar. Lord have mercy. It makes me so sad to remember that. Students, don't be like me, okay? Don't do this. Emmy Jo, my granddaughter, would call that a red choice. It was a red choice. But that's how I had my first drink. Thinking back on it, I am stunned by how seductive that drink was. I didn't even like the taste of it, but pretty much from that moment on, my life was no longer defined by the youth group I just attended, but by the alcohol that seduced and consumed me. That's the crazy thing about a bad habit. You think you're consuming it while it is doing its level best to consume you. For the next 13 years, all my social choices, my, my friendships, my ethics, my physical, spiritual, and emotional health, all was defined, all centered around my next drink. And that is not an exaggeration. Then, 13 years and a thousand bad decisions later, but not more than two miles from the cafe. I was driving down Millage Avenue when I heard the voice of God. I literally heard the voice of God inviting me to quit. It was an invitation to step out of the lie I'd been living into and into the person God could see in me. He had already called me 17 years prior to that moment when I was driving down Millage Avenue. 17 years prior, I'd heard the call to preach, but I'd chosen not to follow it. I'd chosen not to follow God's call. So this thing I do with Steve in restaurants, I was doing that a long time ago with God. He had a call on my life, and my response was, no, nah. I mean, how arrogant is that? So in the absence of another option, the cheapest, easiest, most numbing option filled the void. And that option stole more than a decade of my life because I'd said no to something without saying yes to anything else. What I didn't know was that even when it comes to spiritual things, nature abhors a vacuum. In other words, saying no to one choice is only half the equation. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. <laughs> Saying no to one choice is only half the equation. It's why most diets don't work. Because most diets are only focused on taking care, uh, calories away, but not on the life we're living and the feelings we're using those calories to avoid, which makes those calories taste so good. Nature abhors a vacuum. Abhors a vacuum. Something will fill the void. That's how it works in real life and how it works in our spiritual lives. Why? Because the enemy of our souls is lazy. He is not a creator. He is an imitator and an opportunist. That means that rather than going to all the trouble of creating a new, valid, and valuable life for us, the enemy of your soul and mine will find the cheapest, easiest way to get us just a little off course. He doesn't even need us to go jumping off the deep end. He just needs us to lose a little focus, 
to get a little distracted, a little more interested in one thing that will take our eyes off the plans and purposes of God for, for our lives. The enemy of our souls doesn't really need us to say, to hear us say, sounds great, let's go. In fact, he'd rather keep us in discontent. So he loves an empty space, a weakness, which meant that for someone like me with a family history of alcoholism, that work for the enemy was a no-brainer. Literally, it took no brains or faith or common sense to jump headlong into a habit that would derail my life for years. It was not until I got just desperate enough or just tired enough of the emptiness to be able to hear that other voice. That voice came a couple of times in a couple of different ways, and both of them were freedom voices. The first one was a freedom from invitation, a call to let go of what had overtaken my life like kudzu on an old barn. That voice said, and when I say that voice, I mean literally it was a voice in my car while I was driving. And we know how I drive. Distraction's not generally my friend in the car. But here we were. And that voice said, you've got a choice to make. It's a choice between alcohol and Jesus. Because for me, maybe not for everyone, but for me, with my family history and my tendencies and my brokenness and my desire to numb my uncomfortable feelings, alcohol stood like a brick wall between me and Jesus. So the voice said, you've got a choice to make between alcohol and Jesus. Which will it be? And then he said, if you choose alcohol, I cannot promise where it will take you. And just as he said that, I could see this long, dark road stretch out before me. And I knew if I did not choose Jesus, it would be a rough ride and it would end in a dark place. So I chose Jesus. And it wasn't long after that that I heard the voice again, this time with a freedom to invitation. It was an invitation to step into a life I could never have dreamed of for myself, could never have imagined this. And that invitation into a life of purpose was the second half of the equation. Todd Hunter says this, or he asks this question, what if questions of purpose are of more value and precede questions of freedom? That's a really good question, isn't it? I think what he's saying basically is this. Figure out what God is after, what God wants, what God has purposed for you, and then be as free as you want in pursuing those things. So here's why I'm telling you, again, this very old, familiar story. It's so we can hear this truth, that life in Christ is not just freedom from, but also freedom to. And that is both great news and a serious caution, which is exactly the point Jesus was making that day. He said all this to his friends in, in the context of a conversation about the enemies of their soul, the enemy of their souls, and the promises of the Old Testament that were waiting to be fulfilled. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 12 
As always, the best way to engage the message is with the Bible and something to write with. And we're in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 43. We're just going to look at three verses. And these three verses are surrounded by big messages that Jesus is Lord over everything, that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy cannot both win. That the freedom from promises heard by the people in the Old Testament were only completed by the coming of Jesus, who is ultimately a freedom to Messiah. All those messages are in Matthew chapter 12. And then in verse 43, Jesus brings it right down to where we live in a very stark little story about the behavior of demons. I want you to listen to this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid or dry or desert or maybe the better word is lifeless places, seeking rest and does not find it. The implication here, just in this one verse, is that getting a spirit out of a person is not the hard part. Keeping him out is the hard part. I need an amen from some people in the room. A spirit that isn't attached to a person is a restless spirit. Then verse 44, then it says, the spirit says, I will return to the house I left. And the house is us, both individually and corporately. And when it arrives, Jesus says, when it, it, finds, the house un, it, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That's how it is. That's how it will be with this wicked generation. Do you hear the moral in the story? Saying no to your demons is only half the equation. You should write that down. Saying no to your demons is only half the equation. Yes, we need freedom from fear, spiritual laziness, personal sin, anger, pessimism, whatever has us spiritually sick. But we do the greatest disservice to Christianity when we make it only a list of things we have to say no to in order to avoid hell. Friends, getting set free is only half the equation. Without the other half, that unfinished work can be spiritually dangerous. At the very least, we're missing the best part. So from 1954 to 1965, the leaders of the civil rights movement were very clear on their goal. They had one very simple, big goal, and that was to win freedom from Jim Crow segregation in southern states. Civil rights leaders didn't always agree on the method to make that happen, but they agreed on the goal, and in 1964, they achieved that goal through the passage of the Civil Rights Act, and then a year later, with the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. With those two acts uh, legislated into law, They won freedom from segregation. Thanks be to God, Jim Crow is dead. And it was those two mighty laws that killed him. But right after those enormous victories, those same civil rights leaders began to struggle to figure out what next. What what would they get unified around next? Should Should they 
seek economic equality now that legal equality had been won? Or, or should they get behind the anti-Vietnam War movement that was unfolding? And while they were debating, SNCC, the St uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, fell under the spell of black power activists like Stokely Carmichael, who per persuaded organizers to kick out white staffers and embrace black separatism. The Nation of Islam was also pre preaching separatism and rejected nonviolence, the very message that had successfully triumphed over Jim Crow. The Black Panthers called for a violent revolution to liberate northern ghettos from the police who they saw as the enemy. And so just weeks after the Voting Rights Act passed, there were riots breaking out in Los Angeles and other big cities, even cities that had not been oppressed under Jim Crow. So the movement had won freedom from, and Martin Luther King had also preached a freedom to message, but they'd lost sight of it. King's freedom to message was freedom to love your enemy. During the fight and when it's over, his biblical call was to learn how to love, really love, even the ones you don't like, the ones you disagree with. But that part of the equation got lost. And so, beginning in 1954, and for nearly 10 years, the civil rights movement, with integrity and grit and courage and faith, had pressed toward that goal of freedom from Jim Crow segregation. But in the following 10 years, it fell apart for the lack of a freedom to vision. And that was not the failure of just one group. That was the failure of an entire country. That is still the failure of a whole country. We struggle to understand that freedom from is not enough to change our character. Freedom from is not the whole gospel. Do you remember Todd Hunter's question? What if questions of purpose are of more value? Your why. What if your why precedes questions of freedom? Which is another way of asking, not what am I against, but what am I about? What is my why? What is God sending me toward? What is his preferred future? Paul tells us it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Which means that now we are free to imagine everything God can do. So in the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a freedom from uh, Christianity and really talk about things we need to let go of. And then we're going to talk about a freedom to Christianity and everything God invites us into. And then Chris is going to bring us back around to the vision of this church and how we live into a freedom to life. Until we get there, let me just give you a few ways to get started today. A few ways to start praying. Start with this. Begin where Jesus tells us to begin, by calling out the impure spirits, the ones that have taken up residence in our house. Start to pray prayers of repentance and call out those demons that you see at work in your life and in our world. Watchman Nee says, if you want to advance the will of God, you must deal with all the hindrances. <laughs> 
So get honest. What are the demons that have you? Stubbornness? Jealousy? Lust? Pride? Pettiness? Addiction? Fear? Rage? Rationalizing? Thinking you know best? What are your demons? And then, while you're praying for your demons, I want you to pray specifically against the demon of rebellion. Because that spirit is a friend of any other spirit you're entertaining. It always finds its way into the house when the other spirits invade. The spirit of rebellion feeds off of that deep-seated sin of pride. I want what I want when I want it, and I want to control all of it. I'm not talking about you, but people you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is an addict's worst demon. And our selfishness in times of survival will often expose our addiction to comfort and control. If God has invited us to lay some things down on the way to following him, then friends, that's something we need to take seriously. Take it from me. Saying no to God does not go well. So if you're sensing God's nudge towards something new, consider not pushing back against that thought, but going with it. Charles Dubois says this is the secret, to be able at any moment to sacrifice what we are for what we can become. Pray against the spirit of rebellion. And then pray that God's will takes precedence over your will. Not my will, but yours be done. We have a great model for that prayer in Jesus. Watchman Nee says, when we lay down ourselves, we will know God's will. I can remember back in the day, stomping my feet in my kitchen, saying, Lord, I just want you to tell me what to do. I'll do it. Just want you to tell me what to do. Well, Jesus had already told me what to do. I just didn't like his answer. Can God reveal his will to somebody like you? Yes. <laughs> Our Father's love is fierce. I want you to hear this. Jesus is more interested in your future than you are. Jesus really, really loves you. He really, really loves you. Will you turn to your neighbor right now and say, Jesus really, really loves you. Yeah. Jesus really loves you, and he asks no more of us than he is willing to give himself. Jesus, God laid down his only son. Jesus willingly laid down his life for the sake of something greater for you. In the exchange, he conquered sin and death and blasted open the, the doors of eternity for all God's children. Thanks be to God. And then here's probably, in terms of practical wisdom, maybe the best thing I've got to offer you this morning. Don't worship the problem. Pray the provision. This is about putting the emphasis not on the demons sitting on your couch eating Doritos and trashing your house, but on the God who has power to kick them out. So pray the provision. Ask yourself, what is in heaven? Well, I'm going to pray that down on my life. 
What is the best, most spirit-driven solution I can hope for? I'm going to pray that over my life. I'm going to pray that. I am going to discipline my prayers toward freedom too. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm just saying that if I will start to dream God's dreams, my brain and my prayers will get healthier in that process. So stop praying the problem and start praying the provision. So since we're doing history stories today, I'll do one more. The Cuban Missile Crisis was a tense moment between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union was threatening to place missiles on the, the soil of Cuba, that put them in, in, in striking distance of American soil. The, the enemy was moving into our house. And it was 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis was 1962, right there in the middle of the civil rights movement when MLK was preaching a love your enemy message. There's some debate about how it actually went down. But the famous story is that after a very tense 13-day standoff between the Soviet Union and the United States, Khrushchev, the Russian leader, sent a telegram to John Kennedy saying he would remove the missiles and back off. He, he sent that telegram on the evening of October 26th. The next day, in the morning, October 27th, he sent another telegram that said they would not back off. And in fact, there's some, here's some other demands that we're making of you. So it was weird, like October 26th, they get this we're backing off message. October 27th, they get this threatening we're never backing off message. And U.S. leaders were confused by these conflicting telegrams. They had no idea what to do. And then finally, someone had this brilliantly simple idea. Just ignore the second letter and respond to the first one. <laughs> Isn't that great? Tell Khrushchev... Thanks for backing off, and here's a plan for making that happen. And it worked. It worked. And we're standing here today, probably, because a war between the Soviet Union and the United States was averted because someone simply thought to ignore the negative and focus on the positive. Friends, the demons that have moved into your house would like nothing better than for you to focus on the threat and begin to negotiate with them. But what if instead you just ignore them and focus on the power and the promises and the potential of God? That's right. What if you chose to believe that God's next suggestion over your life is doable. And rather than listening to the enemy's excuses and fears, what if you stepped in to God's prophetic future? What if you started to pray into God's preferred future? What if you just ignored the problems right now? And just decided to pray into that preferred future and to believe him for it. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's go. Stand up with me, if you will.
Chris, you can come. I want to invite you to pray. Lord Jesus, I, I can't believe I ever said no to you. And I think what all might have been lost if I'd never moved from a freedom from to a freedom to life. And I know there's someone in this room, someone in this room today who has heard your voice, whether they knew it was your voice or not, who has heard a possibility and they have said, no, nah, no thanks. Lord, I am asking you in the same spirit in which you spoke to me, I'm asking you to speak a new word to them. There's someone in this room who is looking at the demons living in their house and seeing those demons as bigger is worse, it's more strong, more powerful than the very power of God. The one who has defeated death, conquered sin, blasted open the gates of hell. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would give them another possibility. Show them that you are bigger than their demons. Prove to them, Jesus, that you're bigger. I'm praying for the one in this room today, God. The one in this room who has been living a freedom from life for so long that they've forgotten how to pray the provision. That one whose prayer life has sounded more like a whine than a proclamation. I'm asking you, God, to give that person your imagination. I am trusting you, Jesus, to speak a new word over all of us so that over all of us, your preferred future will rest and our response will be, sounds great, let's go. Give us eyes to see, Lord, and ears to hear, and a heart to receive everything you have for us. In July, we built an altar, and this altar is for your use. So I want to invite you now to come and spend time here in the presence of God. Get on your knees before God and let him deal with you. If you'd like to pray, if you'd like prayer over anything, if you'd like someone to agree with you in prayer, I'd be so pleased to pray with you. And I'm just going to ask Julian if he would to come and be on this side. Julian, if you'll come by and just pick up a vial of oil. Just come over here on this side, and if you'd like Julian or I to pray for you, we'd be so pleased to pray for you. Let's do the work of the Lord. Let's do the work of the kingdom in this time that we have together. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.